all humanity has been infected with a sickness. And antibiotics won't cure this sickness. And the flu shot won't help you to prevent this sickness. The sickness I'm referring to is the human condition of sin. All of us have experienced the debilitating effects of sin. You see, sin separates us from a holy God. And sin begins to corrupt our lives from the inside out. And eventually, sin will destroy our lives. So the question is, if all of humanity is infected with this spiritual sickness called sin, is there any hope? Is there a healer for our sickness? Well, the passage of Scripture we're going to study this morning answers that question. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, as we continue our study through this wonderful New Testament book, Acts chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. You enjoying the beginning of the Christmas holidays, poinsettias, Christmas music? Uh, we started listening to our Christmas music on the day after Thanksgiving like normal people do. If you listen to yours earlier, I, I don't know how to help you. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus and we are so grateful for this privilege of corporate worship. Lord, that we get together, Lord, to, to sing praises to your great name, to hear you speak to us through your word, to, to encourage each other. Lord, we are grateful for this time. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would move in our midst, that you would touch our hearts and change our lives for the glory of your great name. May we leave this place today different than when we walked in. Father, move in our midst by your Spirit, all for the glory of Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. On the day of Pentecost, that Jewish festival, Peter stood up and preached a wonderful gospel message in the power of the Spirit. And the Bible tells us that on that day, 3,000 people were saved. And at the end of Acts chapter 2, we begin to see how these early believers did church. We talked last week about the marks of a healthy church because God was, was, was moving in their midst in extraordinary ways. They were a healthy, outreach-focused church. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, the Bible records that the Lord was doing many wonders and signs through the apostles. Well, here in chapter 3, Luke records one of those signs, one of those wonders, one of those miracles. And the question arises, well, why did he record this specific miracle? Well, I think there are a couple answers to that question. First of all, Luke records this specific miracle because it was the occasion for a second sermon of Peter's. After the miracle, Peter preaches again, and Luke wants us to hear that sermon. So he mentions the miracle, and he records Luke's sermon after the miracle. But there's another reason that Luke highlights this miracle. This miracle marked the beginning of intense persecution of the early church. The religious leaders of the day did not like the fact that this man was healed in the name of Jesus Christ, and As a result of this healing, they began to preach to the multitudes uh, Jesus Christ. And so this miracle caused persecution. But I believe there are three purposes of this miracle. As we study Acts chapter 3, there are three purposes behind it. Why God heals this man. So I want to just kind of walk you through those three different purposes and make application to all of us in the room. First of all, the first purpose of this miracle was to change one man's life. To change one man's life. Look what it says there in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. I want you to notice several things about this man's life. First of all, this man had experienced prolonged suffering. Did you notice it says he was lame from birth? His entire life had been lived with this physical malady, this physical handicap. He was unable to walk, unable to go where he wanted to go. And he had experienced this debilitating condition all of his life. This man had experienced prolonged suffering. Some of you in this room have experienced prolonged suffering. Suffering that just does not seem to go away. And it just wears on you day after day, week after week, month after month. And you know how, how troubling that can be to your soul. And this man had lived with prolonged suffering. Also, this man was helpless. There in verse 2 it says, He was being carried. A man, lame from birth, was being carried. Why? He could not walk. So he had to be 
carried by others to get where he needed to go. He was completely helpless to do anything about his physical condition. But also notice this man was poor. Why was he being carried? It says in verse 2, he said, They would lay him daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. This man was unable to work because of his physical handicap. Because he could not work, he depended upon the benevolence of others. And so every day, someone would lay him at this gate called Beautiful, and he would beg for money. Now, it's significant that he was laid at the Beautiful Gate. The Beautiful Gate, scholars believe, was probably the main eastern entrance to the temple precincts. It was also called the Nicanor Gate. And this gate was made of Corinthian brass. The Jewish historian Josephus says this gate greatly excelled those other gates that were only covered over with silver and gold. It was beautiful. And this gate was 75 feet high and had, a, and had huge double doors. So it's at the foot of this magnificent, beautiful gate that this, this lame man is begging. Perhaps this man was trying to capture people's attention with that stark contrast. Here you are walking into this opulent, beautiful gate that speaks of wealth and splendor. And by sharp contrast, here I am, a lame man begging for alms. He was poor. But I want you to notice that this man's life was changed in an instant. He was a man who had experienced prolonged suffering. He was helpless. He was poor. But in an instant, his life was changed. Look what it says in verse 4. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So, hey, they're talking to me. Maybe they're about to give me some money. But Peter said... I have no silver and gold. There are several times in the Bible I like the old King James Version. And I love how the King James says here, Silver and gold have I none. He says, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately, notice that, immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So this man who had been lame from birth, helpless, poor, this man in a moment, in the blink of an eye, this man's life was changed. God healed him, gave him physical strength. He was able to get up and walk and leap and live. This man's life was changed in an instant. I like what F.F. Bruce writes about this man's life. First, he practiced standing. And when he found he could do that, he put one foot forward and tried to walk. When he found he could do that as well, ordinary walking seemed to humdrum a means of progress. His exaltation must find more vigorous expression. So, leaping in the air and bounding along, discovering that all his new limbs were now capable of doing, he accompanied the two apostles into the inner precincts. Nor was it with his limbs alone that he rejoiced in God's goodness to him. The temple courts echoed his shouts of joyful praise. So think about this man for a moment. Try to put yourselves in his shoes. He went from being carried to leaping. He went from begging to praising God. And he went from 
hopelessness and helplessness to pure joy. Immediately, this man's life was changed. Now, what does that have to say to all of us in this room today? I want you to look there in your notes. This statement I'm about to share with you was a statement I was writing last week in my my study, and I began to think, there's going to be someone at church on Sunday that needs to hear what I'm about to say. Listen to what the statement says. Never underestimate the power of Jesus to graciously intervene in desperate situations. Never underestimate the power of Jesus to graciously intervene in desperate situations. Some of you have gone through desperate situations in your past. Some of you are living in desperate situations right now. Some of you will go into desperate situations in the near future. Never underestimate the power of Jesus to intervene and to help and to heal and to change and to transform in an instant. You see, when you find yourself in desperation, you ought to call upon the name of Jesus because he's the one that can help. So why did God perform this miracle in Acts chapter 3 through Peter and John? Well, the first reason is obvious, to change one man's life. Now, there are some bigger things going on here, some bigger purposes, if you will, behind the miracle. But notice, this man's life was immediately changed. And don't forget that as God is moving in human history, He moves by changing one life at a time. I thought about Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're starting the, the Christmas season, and when Luke records the birth narrative in his gospel, he starts by telling the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest. He was in the temple, and he was uh, performing his duties in the temple. Uh, An angel appears to him and says, you are about to have a son. You and Elizabeth are going to have a son together. This was significant because they were unable to have children. And the angel tells him, this son will be the forerunner of the Messiah. That's exactly what happens. Elizabeth finds herself with child. She is carrying John the Baptist, who is the forerunner of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary. It would be John the Baptist who would grow up and one day point to Jesus Christ when he came upon the scene in a public manner and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John the Baptist was the forerunner to prepare the way for the Messiah. That's, pretty, that's, a, that's a big deal, isn't it? And so there's all this big stuff going on. God is, is intervening in human history to send a Savior. He's sending a forerunner to point to the Savior. All of this big picture, grand narrative stuff happening. But notice, in the midst of all of this, Zechariah and Elizabeth had a son. In the midst of God's big picture of redemption, their individual lives were touched, weren't they? And in the middle of what God is doing here in Acts chapter 3, all this man knew is, hey, I was helpless. I was being laid at the gate of the temple. I could not walk. But now I'm leaping and praising God. My life has been changed. So the first purpose of this miracle was to change one man's life. But secondly, I want you to see the purpose of this miracle was to gather a crowd for the preaching of the gospel. To gather a crowd for the preaching of the gospel. Look back with me in Acts chapter 3. It says in verse 9, All the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. 
And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, verse 11, all the people, listen, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And so word began to get around. Hey, you know the guy that, that is laid every day at the beautiful gate and begs for alms? He is leaping around in the temple. He's been transformed. So a crowd began to gather. So what does Peter do in the next verse? When Peter saw it, the crowd gathering, he addressed the people and he began to preach a sermon about Jesus. It's as if Peter's saying, oh, well, since we have a crowd, I might as well preach. And he begins to preach about Jesus Christ. And I believe one of the reasons that God healed this man was to capture people's attention so that they would gather and they would hear the gospel because Peter preaches a powerful message about Jesus in the following verses. And so how are we to think about signs and wonders? Well, first of all, signs and wonders validated the authority of the apostles. Acts 2.43 says this, that as the church was gathering, listening to the apostles' teaching, that God was was moving, performing signs and wonders through the apostles. In other words, the the miracles that God performed through the apostles accompanied their teaching. It was as if God was putting his stamp of approval on the apostles. Hey, listen to these guys. He would get people's attention so they could hear the teaching, the word of God, through the apostles. So these signs and wonders validated the authority of the apostles in the early church. But also signs and wonders were used and are used to capture people's attention. It says there in Acts 3 verse 10, they were filled with wonder and amazement. They began to gather into a crowd so they could see what's happening here. The miracle had captured their attention, which is precisely what God wanted it to do. A crowd's there now gathered, and they're ready to hear a message about Jesus. And listen, signs and wonders point beyond themselves to someone greater. It says as Peter's saying, hey, don't miss the point here. There's a crowd But there's something much bigger than just a miracle happening here. There's your need for a Savior. And begins to share Jesus Christ. You see, signs and wonders are always given by God to point beyond themselves. The point of this passage is not the miracle. The point of the passage is who performed the miracle. Jesus Christ, right? And the signs and wonders are meant to point beyond themselves to the one who did the miracle. Now, when I was in college, I worked for a summer with Campus Crusade for Christ. And we lived in Orlando that summer. And one weekend, I was in this downtown area that had a lot of shopping places and and restaurants. I was with a group of people. We were walking around in this very crowded area. It was a major gathering place in Orlando, Florida. And there's a man standing in the middle of this area with a sandwich board on. He had two, two big boards, front and back, and it had some, some verses on them, something like repent. Um, and, and, he be, and he was standing there preaching a message. And he was, he was yelling. I mean, he was yelling this message. Now, as I think back on that moment, there were some things the man was saying that were absolutely true. He was saying things like, 
You need to turn to Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, and be saved, because if you don't, you will go to hell and be there forever. He's absolutely right. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and you die in that condition, you will spend eternity separated from God in that awful place called hell. So he was sharing things that were true. But he was totally ineffective. You know why? He was ineffective because the people did not have ears to hear. You know what God's doing here in Acts chapter 3? He's giving the people ears to hear. He's capturing their hearts so that they can hear the message of Jesus Christ. Which leads us to an obvious question. Does God still do this stuff today? Does God still perform miracles today? Well, let me just say this. Notice this is a major moment in redemptive history. This is the beginning of the church in Jerusalem that would spread into Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. They were surrounded by people who did not know Jesus Christ. And so God did something dramatic to give the church some momentum as he, as he birthed that church in Jerusalem. And that dramatic thing was this miracle of healing the lame man who had been lame since birth. So let me say it like this. Let's say that you and I went on a, a mission trip together. And let's say that we traveled to the other side of the world, and we find ourselves hiking into a village on the backside of nowhere, and we know through some research that the people who live in that village have never heard the name of Jesus. They've been living for centuries with no knowledge of the one true God. They are worshiping in a pagan way, Worshipping demonic spirits. And we know that for the first time, the, the light of the gospel is going to penetrate that darkness. It's going to penetrate that, that spiritual stronghold. Now, if you and I walked in that village, and we began to see God do signs and wonders, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Not at all. For, God to see God, for, for us to see God move in a supernatural way. We begin to pray for sick people, they begin to get healed. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Not at all. Because that's a major moment in redemptive history. The gospel going into a tribe that's never heard the name of Jesus. And I've got good friends that I know and trust who serve on the edge of great lostness. Missionaries. And I've heard enough stories from them to know that God is still moving in supernatural ways to capture people's attention so they can hear the gospel. I told you, when I was in India, every believer I met had come to Christ as a result of of either personal healing or seeing a family member healed. That healing got their attention. They heard the gospel. They gave their lives to Christ. So does God still move like this in the world? The answer is absolutely. God is still doing supernatural signs and wonders always, always for the advance of the gospel. Not just to impress people, but to point people beyond the miracle to the miracle giver, Jesus Christ. Which leads to another obvious question. Well, wait, should we pray for supernatural things here in America? I mean, should we pray for people to be healed? 
God to work miracles here? The answer? Absolutely. There's nothing in Scripture that would prohibit us from praying for God, from praying for God to move in supernatural ways in people's lives, including physical healing. But listen, if and when God does it, He answers your prayer and He heals somebody miraculously, supernaturally, instantaneously, remember, that's a platform for the gospel, right? It's an opportunity for you to point people beyond the miracle to Jesus Christ Himself. That's the purpose of this miracle. To gather people who had ears to hear so that Peter could share Christ. But there's a third purpose to this miracle. Not only was this one man's life changed, not only was a a crowd gathered for the preaching of the gospel, but third, I believe this miracle illustrates spiritual realities. The purpose of the miracle was to illustrate some spiritual realities. I believe this, this physical handicap that this man experienced is a picture of our spiritual sickness, our spiritual handicap. And let me show you this connection. Turn over to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Look in verse 8. Now after this man was healed, it gathered a crowd. People heard about Jesus and the religious leaders who who didn't want people to follow Jesus. They didn't like his influence, his growing influence. These religious leaders got angry. And they called in Peter and John to set them straight. No more healing, no more preaching about Jesus. And look what Peter says in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And listen, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Notice what Peter does here. He starts by talking about the physical healing. This man was healed in the name of Jesus. But then he goes from there to our spiritual need. He says, listen, your main need is spiritual healing. There's salvation in no one else other than the name of of Jesus. So I believe in Peter's mind, this physical healing was an illustration of our need for spiritual healing. Jesus did the same thing over in Matthew chapter 9. Do you remember when Jesus was eating with a bunch of sinners and the religious leaders had an issue with it? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 11. When the Pharisees saw him eating with sinners, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. See the point there? Jesus is using the illustration of a physician and physical sickness as a picture of man's spiritual sickness. Here's his point. 
The reason I'm eating with sinners is because they know they're sick. They know that they, they know they need a healer. And, and Jesus is saying the real problem is you Pharisees, you think you're well. You don't think you need a healer. That's your problem. You are spiritually sick. So we see in the Bible that physical sickness, physical healing is used to illustrate or to picture spiritual healing. So going back to Acts chapter 3, comparing our spiritual plight to the man's physical plight, what can we learn? Here's what we learn. First of all, we all need spiritual healing. We all need spiritual healing. Spiritually speaking, we are just like this man before he encountered Christ. Handicapped, unable to do anything about it, helpless, hopeless. And did you notice this man was lame since birth? Every one of us in this room have experienced the spiritual sickness called sin. And guess what? We were born with a sin nature. Every one of us. You say, wait, you're being too harsh. I'm okay, you're okay, let's just get past this and let's be more positive. Am I really Am I really a sinner? Is it that big of a deal? Listen to what the Bible says over in Psalm chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Listen to what he says. They have all, everyone say all. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And Paul uses those verses in Romans chapter 3 when he says, There is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God is perfect and holy and righteous and just, and every one of us have sinned against a holy God. We've all fallen short of his perfect standard. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because we've sinned against God, we deserve God's just punishment. And that sin, that rebellion against God that starts in our hearts, has been there since birth, guess what? It just corrupts all of who we are. And eventually it will destroy. Just like that man who was physically, physically not well, who experienced physical malady, every one of us in this room have experienced spiritual malady. We all need healing. Spiritual healing. But here's the second truth as we use this man's life to illustrate spiritual realities. There's power in the name of Jesus to heal. Look what it says in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verse 6. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Notice that. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So this man is healed by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Now, when you see the phrase, the name of Jesus, it speaks of the reality of who Jesus Christ is. His name represents him, his character and his nature. So when it says you are, are healed by the power of the name of Jesus, he's saying you are healed by Jesus Christ himself. Now we see the power of the name of Jesus 
all throughout the scriptures. Here in Acts 3, we see his power over physical ailments, the power of the name of Jesus to heal physical ailment. We see in Luke chapter 10, the power of the name of Jesus over demons. In John 14, 13, we see the power of the name of Jesus in prayer. In Philippians 2, we see the power of the name of Jesus to reign over the universe. But we also see in the Bible, listen, the power of the name of Jesus to heal us spiritually. Just like the power of the name of Jesus healed this man physically, listen, the power of the name of Jesus can heal you and I physically. Look what it says over in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Look what it says in verse 16. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Listen, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You know what he's saying there? He's saying that people who are lost and far from God are lost because they have not appropriated the power of the name of Jesus to experience spiritual healing. Now I want you to know that if you are spiritually sick and you know it and you've never met the healer, you've never met the great physician, there's good news about the power of the name of Jesus. Romans 10.13 says, listen, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's good news, isn't it? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is power in the name of Jesus to heal this man in Acts physically, but there is power in the name of Jesus to heal us all spiritually. That's the point. Now, you say, Wade, how can I, how can I access that power? How can I experience that healing? Well, if you look there in your notes, his power is accessed by faith. Look back in Acts chapter 3 with me. The people gather as a result of this miracle. And in Acts chapter 3, verse 12, Peter saw the gathering of the crowd and he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, whom he had Decided to uh, when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, listen to what he says, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is, in, that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So Peter says it's the power of the name of Jesus that heals. But that power is accessed by faith. You see, it was not enough for this man just to know about the power of Jesus. He had to experience it personally. So he believed that Jesus Christ could heal him. He placed his trust in 
Christ. When he placed his faith in Christ, that power was appropriated to him and he was physically healed. And it's the same way, spiritually speaking. I want you to hear me carefully because this is a, this is a Bible Belt issue. In the Bible Belt, people know about Jesus. They even know about the power of Jesus. They even know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that Jesus rose from the dead. They know that Jesus saves. But they've never personally appropriated the power of Jesus to their spiritual account. They've never seen their personal need for a Savior. I want, listen to me. It's not just enough for you to know about Jesus. You've got to know Jesus. And the only way you come to know Jesus is by faith. And when you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, His power, the power of His name, comes into your life and heals you of your deepest need. He heals your sin problem through forgiveness and through life transformation. And so our healing... our Healing is his healing power is accessed by faith. Romans 5 1 says that we've been justified by faith. We've been saved. We've been made right by faith. We've been spiritually healed by faith, seeing our need and placing our trust in Christ alone. Ephesians 2 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one can boast. You don't earn your salvation. Jesus has done it all. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead and you are saved when you trust Christ and what he has done for you. That's faith. I want you to hear me. You'll never know the spiritual healing power of the name of Jesus if you don't place your faith in Jesus. His power is is accessed by faith. But here's one final thing I want you to see as we think about this, this man's physical healing illustrating spiritual healing. We all need spiritual healing. There's power in the name of Jesus to heal. That power is accessed by faith. But here's the last thing. Our healing is ultimately for the glory of God. Did you notice how this man responded to his physical healing? Look back with me in Acts chapter 3. It says, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Say, he's leaping? That's not real dignified, is it? Hey, the man was excited. He got healed. Amen? And he's he's praising God. It says, the people saw him walking and praising God. This man was so excited about physical healing, and he gave the glory to God. Question. When we experience Jesus as our spiritual healer, who should get the glory? God. See, some of you in here have been saved for a long time. And you've lost that excitement concerning Jesus because you forgot what it was like to be helpless and hopeless. This man 
remembered what it was like to be lame and to be laid day after day at the, the gate called beautiful to beg for alms. He knew what his old life was like, and he was so excited about his new life, he could not help but to walk and to leap and to run and to shout and to praise God. Some of you in here need to remember how desperate your life was before you met Christ. And let God rekindle in you that excitement about about healing, spiritual healing, so that you can live a life where you give glory to God because He deserves the glory. If you are here today and your sins have been washed away and you have been transformed by the grace of God and you have a relationship with God and you know you're going to heaven when you die, all of that is a reality, not because you're good. It's because God is a God of grace. And if God is a God of grace, He should get the glory. And so, our healing is ultimately for the glory of God. Does your spiritual healing which is eternal, excites you as much as this man's physical healing excited him, which was just for a time. R. Kent Hughes writes, The miracle was both literal and parabolic. It was a parable. Because the Spirit-filled church dispenses more than care for the body, it brings healing to the soul. In place of spiritual lameness, there can be leaping. I like that. That's our message Instead of spiritual lameness, there can be leaping because Jesus Christ is the great physician and Jesus Christ will heal you spiritually. And so all of humanity has been infected with a sickness. Antibiotics can't cure it. The flu shot won't help you prevent it. That spiritual sickness is the ruin of sin. And there's only one healer for that spiritual sickness. And his name is Jesus. If you look there, the final sentence in your notes. What should I walk away with? What's the point of all this? Here it is. You ready? Here it is. There is power, incredible power, in the name of Jesus to heal the sin-sick soul. Incredible power in the name of Jesus to heal the sin-sick soul.